everyone, and welcome back to the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl and your host of, uh, of this lovely podcast here. Just as a reminder, since I haven't been with you all in quite some time, um, we are part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network, so please go to morbidlybeautiful.com and check out other podcasts such as Cheer and Loathing and any other podcast that meets your heart's desire. They also have great editorials, and um, you know everybody that works on this network is a real visionary. So shout out to Morbidly Beautiful. Thank you so, so much for your patience, everyone. Um, yeah, I've been busy. Life sometimes hits you in the face. Um, I have recently become a parent to um, another cat in my life and I've been traveling and it's been the holidays and um, I don't know, life just comes really quickly. The older I get, the more that that seems to be relatively uh, relatively true. I feel like whenever you're younger and your parents tell you that, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. Uh, but no, um, much of like many other things that they're right about, they're also right about that. So I know that this is a well-anticipated episode, and I think that, um, you know, now that I'm kind of settling into a, a new year, new routine, I am, you know, juggling many things in my personal life, such as, like, having a new exercise routine and having a new job and having, you know, new um, cat in my family. Like, things are just looking a little different, but, you know, everything's looking really good, so... I think from now on, the best way for me to probably do this is probably going to be once every other week. I think a month is too long, and I think every week is too frequent for me for right now at this point in my life. So uh, I also don't want to flood people with content. Um, Sometimes I find that if I have a podcast that I really like that comes out every single week, um, sometimes I don't get a chance to listen to it. And then what do I do? Like, if I didn't listen to it, then I have to wait you know, to listen to it before I can listen to the next episode that's coming out. And um, yeah, sometimes a week, this isn't long enough for somebody like me. So maybe if you're like me, you'll enjoy the every two week format. But we are still going, still going guys through our top 100 movies. And um, we're starting off strong right now today at number 69. Everybody knows the drill, so I'm not going to break it down for you. But of course, every source that I use is going to be IMDb and it's going to be linked into the podcast notes. Number 69, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. I agree. I wouldn't necessarily consider this a true horror, um, but it is definitely a horror comedy, which I am not typically a fan of horror comedies, but this one's pretty special. I mean, it's a musical. You have so many elements of creativity at play here. A newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter at a bizarre residence of Dr. Frankenfurter. Directed by Jim Sharman, starring Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, and Barry Bostwick. I I just love this movie. I love all one hour and 40 minutes of it. I love that it's from 1975. It is the most 1975 movie you will probably ever watch in your entire life. And the music, still good. Still good to this day. Number 68, Hostel. 2005, one hour, 34 minute runtime. Written and directed by the legend, Eli Roth. Three backpackers head to Slovak City that promises to meet their hedonic expectations with no idea of the hell that awaits them. So, this movie is... um, Not something that I would recommend to everybody, starring Jay Hernandez and Derek Richardson, who give absolutely fabulous performances. This movie is, um, yeah, not for the faint of heart. It is certainly one that you are going to leave from wherever you are watching, or maybe you just turn your TV off after you watch it and go, hmm, maybe I will reconsider staying where I thought I might stay on my trip to Central Europe. And that's not me saying that you shouldn't go to Central Europe because um, I've been and it's absolutely fabulous and I I love every minute of being there and the people are fantastic. The food is great. Um, But this is definitely one of those movies that it makes you think. It makes you think really deeply about what would you be willing to pay money to do? I don't think that was like the original 
intention of the film. Um, but it really is a true exercise in thinking if you had all the money in the world, would you also pay to torture American tourists that are coming to central European cities and, you know, ultimately possibly be responsible for their death? Like, I don't think that that's something that I would be at all interested in. But um, as Eli Roth proves, there is a market. So, um, so that's some food for thought. Number 67, 1960 Psycho. I don't think that you could have a top 100 list without this movie. Of course, everyone you know, that worked on this movie is honestly a legend, right? I mean, Alfred Hitchcock is, of course, one of the greatest directors. I, I love The Birds. I love Alfred Hitchcock. I love, um, I, I love Vertigo. I mean, everything, right? And um, The Birds and Vertigo, I think, I know The Birds for sure, are being taken off of the Criterion channel this month. So be sure to stream those if you want to watch them before they get taken off because... Those movies are actually surprisingly hard to find, but you can watch Psycho right now on Peacock, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. This stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, Vera Miles. I mean, there's so much history about this movie, right? You have Norman Bates. He is unwell. Um, a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. And, you know, the fact that this woman stole 40K from her client, honestly, is not even relevant to the story other than that's how she gets to the hotel. Um, But there's so many things you can look up, so many interviews you can watch of Alfred Hitchcock detailing how he shot the scenes, what what his intentions were behind camera angles, and, like, whether he was really going to show the audience, right? Whether How much he wanted to show, really. There's a great documentary that you can watch. Um, it used to be on Hulu. I, I'm sure it still is. About how they did the shower scene. And they go into such great detail about how... Really nothing had been done up to that point, like effects-wise. So if you don't know, fun fact. The blood in the shower is actually chocolate syrup. Because, you know, red-colored water... It moves too quickly down the shower drain. It didn't look natural at all. So it actually looked more real to use chocolate syrup. And of course, since it was in black and white, we, we couldn't tell what color it was. So it didn't matter really what color the, um, the liquid substance was that they used. But um, that's something that I've always found to be really, really interesting. And I believe, and I haven't watched this documentary in a while, I believe that uh, normally you would stab a watermelon um, back at this point in time, like in, when movies were being made. Sound Foley's would use a watermelon and stab it to create the effect of somebody getting stabbed on camera, but Alfred Hitchcock didn't actually want to use that. And I believe he ended up using like a cut of butcher meat. Forgive me, I don't remember what cut it was, but one that had enough like tension in the striations of the meat to actually get the sound that he wanted, so... Um, really, really interesting stuff. Number 66, Saw 2. If you were to ask me which Saw is the most memorable, I don't know that it would be this one. But that might be why I like it more than I like a lot of the other ones. Um... A detective and his team must rescue eight people trapped in a factory by the twisted serial killer known as Jigsaw. This was released in 2005. One hour, 33 minute runtime. Darren Lynn Bowsman was a director starring Donnie Wahlberg, Beverly Mitchell, Frankie G. It's a great movie. You know the drill when you get Jigsaw involved, okay? I mean, you have these people. They don't appreciate their life. He kidnaps them all. He puts them in a maze of puzzles and things that they have to accomplish in order to get out. And most famously from this one, I think you'll remember that a woman was thrown into a pit of needles because she was a 
a heroin addict, a, a recovering heroin addict. And so she was thrown into a pit of needles to dig out to get a key. And that is something that you just don't forget whenever you are like 13. Number 65, The Box. This was released in 2009, one hour, 55 minute runtime, starring Cameron Diaz, James Marsden, and Frank Luganja, and directed by Richard Kelly. And look, this movie, it, you know, it really, it's not, it's not a good movie. I'm just going to be totally real with you. Uh, it's really not. And, and I like it because the storyline was incredibly original and not because it was necessarily well written. The dialogue is is really uh, interesting. A small wooden box arrives on the doorstep of a married couple who know that opening it will grant them a million dollars and kill someone that they don't know. So Cameron Diaz and her husband are tasked with how do we decide? Do we push this button? Somebody random that we don't know is gonna die. Do we really care? You know, people die every day. Is it really that big of a deal? But we get a million dollars. And they were already financially really struggling. So this movie comes, again, it's timely to think, how far would you go for some money? What would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to kill for money? How much would you be willing to do to get a certain amount? These are all really interesting questions that I'm sure and I know that economists have been studying, economic behaviorists have been studying for, you know, decades. But um, it, it really is truly a fascinating premise. And again, if you watch it, just know you're not in for like the movie of your life. You're really not. But it is so enjoyable to watch something that has never been thought of before and hasn't been, to my knowledge, replicated since. Number 64, Vivarium. This is for you sci-fi lovers out there. Vivarium was released in 2019, one hour, 37 minute runtime, starring Emigan Poots and Daniel Ryan and Molly McCann. And I just, I just love this movie. There's just, oh, and Jesse Eisenberg. Sorry, how could I forget him? It's so unique again. And a young couple looking for the perfect home find themselves trapped in a mysterious labyrinth-like neighborhood of identical houses. So I've talked about this on my own, my own podcast before. There's a whole episode I have about this movie in particular. And I love the tagline, your home forever. So it's, it really is just an absurd like premise for a movie. Um, but actually terrifying. Okay. So Basically, Jesse and Imogen are married couple and they're looking for a house. So they go to this guy and it's like a real estate company front. I mean, it's very weird. It's like empty in there. And they go to look at the house with this guy. And then once they get to the house, he drives away. And so they're like, oh shit, well, we should probably go because that's super weird that he left us here. We don't own this house, right? But then they can't get out of the neighborhood. They drive for hours. They drive for like eight hours and they can't get out. They have no way to get out. They don't know how to get out. It's not possible for them to leave. And as far as they look for miles is all the same house over and over and over again in this one neighborhood. And eventually they are delivered with um, a baby. Like they literally receive a baby in a box. And so they are tasked with raising this child. And like once they raise the kid, they can be released. Um, They, they don't get released, but you should watch it anyway to um, see how you enjoy the journey of watching them try to get out. Number 63, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. This is such an amazing movie. 1987 release, one hour, 36 minutes. A psychiatrist familiar with the knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who is invading their dreams, directed by Chuck Russell. Of course, written by who other than Wes Craven. Starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert England, and Craig Watson. This is really when Freddy gets funny. 
I would I would like to think because he always had these kind of one-off like little jokes here and there like puns that he would make right but they it was always kind of like okay do I laugh or do I not laugh because you know technically the thing you're saying it really shouldn't be funny at all um because the thing that's happening to these characters is not funny at all but this movie, he actually gets funny because you're, like, rooting for him. Like, oh, my God, what is Freddy going to say? How is he going to kill this person next? Like, when he takes the girl's head and shoves it through the TV and he's like, oh, it's time for your big break. Like, he definitely develops more of a personality, I would say, in the third one. So I really like this one. It takes place in a hospital and, you know, they're all fighting. It's a group of young people, young adults and teenagers, and they're, like, fighting to stay awake and, like, you know, to battle Freddy together and... Really, of all of them, this one's probably my favorite, but I know it's not the best one, but I do really love this one. I I have a fond memory of when I watched it for the first time, and it's just one of those movies that you just don't forget. Number 62, Lake Mungo. 2008 release, one hour, 27 minute runtime, written and directed by Joel Anderson, starring Rosie Trainer, David Pledger, and Martin Sharp. Strange things start happening after a girl is found drowned in a lake. Yeah, this movie is is really sad. The tagline describes it absolutely perfectly. It's, if you've ever seen a ghost, look closer. This is one of the movies that I probably saw a little young. I think that if I had waited to watch it, When I was a little older, I think it definitely would have resonated more, um, you know, on a first time viewing. I still really enjoy it and I have since watched it again. And basically this young girl, she's like 16, she's swimming and her body is, it's recovered. I mean, she dies, she drowns and it's an accidental death, right? Or so they think. So her family buries her and... Then a bunch of like weird things start happening around the house and they, the family's like, okay, yo, we're going to get a parapsychologist to come over here, like a paranormal investigator person, because we need some serious, serious help. And through this, they find out that, you know, their daughter had been living a secret double life with the neighbors and it, it is a thriller. It's a mystery, really. Um, it's a ghost story too, a little bit, but it's not... Not really meant to be so. I don't think, I think that's like not the full picture, but wow, this movie is really something. And it was released for, yeah, the After Dark Horror Fest. I forgot about that festival, but I hope that festival still exists. I wonder, I I used to watch all the movies from it, but this is a really incredible one. You can watch it on AMC and I highly recommend. Number 61, Creepshow. I love Creepshow. You can say whatever you want about it. You can say it's not scary, whatever. That's fine. I I don't really care if it's scary or not. If you've ever seen it, you know how amazing it is. It's a horror, and it's a comedy, and it's a fantasy, and it's an everything. 1982 release, two-hour runtime. You get five stories, five grisly tales from a kid's comic book about a murdered father rising from his grave, a bizarre meteor, a vengeful husband, a mysterious crate's occupant, and a plague of cockroaches. Directed by George Romero, written by Stephen King, starring I, a ton of people, but I mean, namely Leslie Nielsen, um, who's absolutely fabulous. But there's just nothing like the first ever time I watched this and I saw the scene with the cockroaches. Um, namely, that story is is probably my favorite. It's the very last one, and it's a story about a, a rich businessman who just gets done berating the person who works at his front desk about like how I can't even remember something about his apartment. And he lives in the most amazing apartment. I mean, I live in Manhattan and I would die to have, I would cut off my left arm to have this apartment. Okay. There's absolutely nothing this man should be complaining about or even has to complain about, but you know, old white guys, like they, they always find something to complain about, especially rich ones. So I guess it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Um, But he just gets done talking about how, like, you know, his apartment and he's super clean freak, like, and cockroaches just start 
coming out of every hole, every sink, every drain. They are busting through the walls. And eventually there's so many cockroaches, they just envelop his whole entire body and eat him. And that's how the story ends. And I just absolutely love that one. But the best part is that when he was reminiscing on this uh, filming, Stephen King was talking to Eli Roth in an interview. And he said... Eli, you'll never believe it because there were cockroaches everywhere. We used real cockroaches. Now, when I was younger, I thought, well, that's just great special effects. How were they doing this in 1980? I mean, I can't even tell. No, they were real cockroaches. And I think that makes it so much worse. Um, I don't think there is enough money. Speaking of like the money thing, I don't think there's enough money in the world that you could ever pay me to do something like this. Number 60, Speak No Evil. This is a 2022 release. Um, It's on Shudder, I think. AMC Plus, I know for sure. It was an IFC movie, and it was on the official Sundance selection. It... This movie's so upsetting. Um, It's an hour and 37 minutes, which... When I was watching it, it felt so, so, so much longer than that. I don't know. I honestly I didn't know it was a I didn't know it was an hour and 37 minutes until right this very second because it felt like it was 4 hours long when I was watching it. I held my breath the entire movie. I made my poor mom and my poor husband watch this with me on my birthday because um I was like one thing I want to do is I want to watch a movie and it's really hard to get my husband to watch movies, so He agreed to watch it. My mom likes movies, so she didn't have a problem with it. And by the end of the movie, we were like, what the fuck are we watching? So a Danish family visits a Dutch family that they met on a holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. This is written and directed by Christian Taftrup and stars... Morton Burian, Sisdale Coach, and Feta Hewitt, and I just, there's so many things wrong, so many things wrong in this movie, you know, these two families are on vacation, I'd love to do a more in-depth episode about this one, because it really is one that deserves, like, it, it deserves a lot of attention, I feel like this movie is really important, and why, I can't quite tell you yet, but I know that this movie is going to be influential, and if nothing else, I am so happy that I had the privilege of seeing it in the same year that it came out. I mean, it really is fantastic. These families are on vacation, and the Danish family has a young daughter, and she um, has like a, I think it's a bunny rabbit, a stuffed bunny rabbit. And she forgets it, you know, and so her dad, being super dad, is like, I'm going to go find it for you, no problem. He comes back, he searches all over Italy in this little village they're staying in, and he finds it. And when he comes back to meet with his wife and daughter, he sees them and is, like, approached by, like, another family. And this other family is like, oh, my God, like, that was so nice of you to do that for your daughter. I don't know that, you know, I would have had the same, like desire or like motivation to find this stuffed animal I would have just been like oh sorry I'll buy you another one which is exactly what I would have done but they sit down and they have dinner together and like it all seems pretty well like the the um the Dutch dad says that he's a doctor and you know he's very like into talking about what he does as a doctor and like the the Danish family hasn't lied about anything at this point and they haven't lied about anything at all um, but it's like weird stuff. So they, they get a postcard. They go actually decide to visit this Dutch family for a weekend in the summer. And um, they live in this beautiful house, but it's like really old. And so they get there and you're like, why is this house so old? I thought you said you were a doctor. And while helping, you know, cut vegetables, um, one day the Danish mom slices her hand and you know, her husband's like, hey, man, since you're a doctor, like, do you mind taking a look at my wife's hand? And he's like, oh, I'm not a doctor. And so it's like piece by piece, like things just 
slowly start to get worse and worse. And like, they don't remember anything that they were told. Like the Danish family, they're all um, vegetarians and the Dutch family is like forcing them to eat meat and like only cooks meat the whole time they're there. And, um, I really don't want to give the ending away because it, it is absolutely brilliant. I really, I really think everybody should watch this. This is very important. Moving on to number 59. We're in the 50s. You can thank me because I'm going actually like noticeably and remarkably faster on this episode. So we are going to get through this, guys. You are going to find out eventually what my number one is. Number 59, The Dead Zone, 1983, one hour, 43 minute runtime, directed by David Cronenberg. Don't you just love him? I know that his son has a movie coming out. Um, I forget the name of it, but I'd like to see it. I'm sure it's amazing. This was written by uh, Stephen King. It was based on a novel and has Christopher Walken in it. So if he gives you the heebie-jeebies like he does for me, then this movie is definitely going to make you a little frightened. So um, this is a story about a man who awakens from a coma to discover that he has a psychic ability. And Wow, this movie is really sad. So, I mean, he, you know, Christopher Walken's super in love with his girlfriend. He's dating her. He takes her home. He drops her off at the door, and she's like, oh, my God, it's raining so hard. Do you want to come in and stay the night? It's okay. Like, I can sleep on the couch. You can have my bed, but at least you won't have to drive in the rain. I mean, it's really dangerous. And he's like, no, it's okay. Like, I'm going to go. I'll be very careful, and I'll call you when I get home, or I'll call you tomorrow. So she's like, okay. I mean, I can't make you stay. He gets in the car, he gets in a car accident because it's raining a lot, and um, he awakens, like, yeah, five years later from his coma, and, uh, you know, he's he's no longer dating this woman. She actually is, like, engaged or married to somebody else already. Like, he wakes up, and his whole life is just in shambles, right? Like, he just doesn't know... He doesn't know anything about his life, right? He's been asleep for so long, and it's really it's really sad. And then he's um, waking up, and the nurse comes in, and she's like, hey, um, can I get you some water or something? And he touches her hand, which seems really strange. And I'm just going to warn you right now. I don't know what happened to the sound mixing on this movie, but if you're watching this movie at, at all a loud volume, I really encourage you to turn it the fuck down as soon as you see him grab her hand, because, oh my God, it is so loud. This one particular scene of the movie is so damn loud. I thought, I mean, I had like a thing of popcorn in my hand. I went to go see this at uh, the Roxy Cinema Center and I literally spilled my popcorn. Like it scared the shit out of me. Um, But anyway, he grabs her hand and he sees her daughter. Like as soon as he grabs her hand, he can see in a vision her daughter and her daughter is at home in her bedroom and the bedroom is on fire. And so he's like, you need to go home to your daughter right this very second because your house is going to burn down and your kids in there. And she's like on the second story and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he starts helping people solve crimes and, um, like solve a string of murders. And then he ends up like trying to take out a political incumbent. And it, it really is a fantastic movie. Fun watch. Number 58. I honestly questioned whether or not to even put this one on here. This one is... Yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to tell you. What are you going to do? Turn it off? Turn my podcast off? Who cares? This podcast is for me anyway, not for you. So, Blue Velvet, number 58. Yep, Blue Velvet, 1986. Two-hour runtime, written and directed by no other... Then David Lynch, starring Isabella Rossellini, Kyle MacLachlan, and Dennis Hopper. Um, The discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of psychopathic criminals who have kidnapped her child. I don't even know what to... Like, there's only... So much I feel like I can tell you about this movie before you just have to trust me and go watch it yourself. If you're at all familiar with David Lynch or 
anything that he does, then I'm sure you know that you're in for the wildest ride of your life, obviously. Like, there's just really no getting around it. But this movie in particular, I, like, was just not expecting at all. And I know that if you were to ask somebody, right, like, okay, if you love David Lynch and you've seen all of his movies, what's your favorite one? I think the most common answers, and he hasn't made that many movies, right? But I think the most common answers are always going to be Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. And while Fire Walk With Me, I don't know if it had as much of an impact on me as it could have, right? Like I didn't, I haven't seen the TV show. I haven't, you know, I wasn't, that was, it wasn't in my, my time, like when I was growing up. And honestly, up until now, I doubt that I would have had any way of even remotely understanding it. Not that you understand anything that this man makes ever. Okay. But like, maybe. And so basically this movie was made because a producer came to David Lynch and said, Hey, I'd love to, I'd love to help you make a movie. What do you have in your pocket right now? What, what do you have that's written already? And he's like, you know, I actually don't have anything written right now, but let me tell you this. I've always wanted to write something because I've always wanted this to happen to me. I've always wanted to sneak into someone's apartment when they're not home with like a voyeuristic intention, right? I've always wanted to sneak into someone's apartment when they're not home and hide and watch them live, you know, their life for however long that I I can stay in there. And I'd love it if during my experience doing that, if um, I would find out some information regarding a, a crime and I could then go solve that crime. Which I've never even, I've never even thought about something like that. And, and I, honestly, I'm reading a book that I'm reading a book about David Lynch's life and I have no idea what this man is like thinking of during the day or even at night. I mean, obviously he's brilliant. I can't take that away from him, but like, Oh my God, where does he come up with this shit? Right. And thank God he's good at making movies. So basically Kyle McLaughlin, he's, you know, he's walking through like a field after he visits his dad in the hospital one day. His dad had a stroke. He's walking through the field back from the hospital to wherever the hell he's going. I have no idea. This, all of these movies that David Lynch makes are like you living in like your worst nightmare. And so like a lot of it doesn't really make any sense and it's not supposed to. And you also don't get any like clarification on it. So if you're a person who likes that, just skip this because you're not going to like this. But if you're okay with letting a director hold your hand and guide you through their world, then you'll love love this movie so he finds his ear and he's like okay i'll take it to the police and he does and the police are like cool well if there's ever like a man who turns up with a missing ear then like i guess we'll know who it belongs to like what do you want me to do with this and he gets this idea through talking with like the policemen and like the detectives and like the detectives daughter is Laura Dern. Of course, Laura Dern is in a lot of David Lynch's movies. They work super well together from what I understand. And he and Laura Dern start setting out to like, go get into this, the singer's apartment so that, you know, they, they think she has something to do with it. And she sings at like a nightclub. And so like, they know when she'll be gone. And so he sneaks into her place when she's not there and, you know, he, he hides in the closet because she comes home when he's there and like she finds him and he does end up solving a crime. Okay. He does. And, and Dennis Hopper comes in because he has a sexual relationship with, um, Isabella Rossellini's character. And, um, he's actually holding Isabella's son hostage in exchange for sexual favors from her. So I guess their relationship is not purely sexual. There's a power dynamic, Um, but yeah, really, I don't want to tell you much more than that. You should watch it, um, or don't, 
right? Like, if it's not your type of movie, I totally get it. Again, I think it's an important movie. And it's so important that the Library of Congress and the Criterion Channel have both released, like, DVD versions. So somebody thinks it's historically important, not just me. Number 57, Swallow. 2019 release, one hour, 34 minutes. I'm giving you nothing but great run times today, so you're so welcome for this. This is an IFC movie. Hunter, a newly pregnant wife, finds herself increasingly compelled to consume dangerous objects. As her husband and his family tighten their control over her life, she must confront the dark secret behind her new obsession. This movie is hard to watch in the sense that I am a woman and I know what it feels like to feel like your life is out of control, but you have control over what you can eat. And so in in that way, I can relate to this movie and I did find it very upsetting. On the other hand, this movie is so... Subtle and over the top somehow at the exact same time that there's really nothing like it. And it screams indie. Okay. I mean, it just does from the color palette to, you know, the main actress. It's written and directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis and it stars Haley Bennett, Austin Stowell and Dennis O'Hare. It is a provocative movie, if nothing else. And so basically she finds out like she's... She's a new housewife. She's a newlywed. She, you know, she had a job previously. She doesn't have one anymore. And basically she has this amazingly beautiful home up in what I imagine is like an upstate New York because it's nowhere near the city. Um, And she seems to have like the perfect life, but she finds out that she's pregnant. And so she like, in order to cope with, her husband's family's expectations of her, she starts to like rebel and like eat objects. Like I I remember her vividly eating a thumbtack and it's just like, how do you relate or like, how do you like get somebody to understand that while they're carrying a child that like eating things that are dangerous and eating things that could kill you, like can also like maybe kill your baby. And like, yeah, it's a really like, the mood and like the tone of the movie make you feel like you are trapped. So in that way, I think it's very effective. Number 56, Haunting in Connecticut. I just love this movie. I like this story. I can understand if you don't. It's definitely not for everybody. Released in 2009, one hour, 32 minute runtime. A family is forced to relocate for their son's health and they begin experiencing supernatural behavior in their new home and uncover a sinister history. Directed by Peter Cornell, starring Virginia Madsen, Martin Donovan, Elias Coteus. This movie, whether you like it or not, is based on a true story. And so this really happened to a family, and I've read the book, and it's horrible, it's horrific. It's the only book I've read that's given me true nightmares. I'll never read it again. There was a family that was so hurting for money, basically, and they moved into this house because the house was really cheap. They didn't have enough money to afford anything nicer. Those are the things you do for your, for your kids, right? So this family moved into this house, and they didn't, have any, they didn't have enough money to afford anything better, and it was close to the hospital that their son needed to go to for treatment, and so they were going to be saving money by moving, even though, like... Money was tight to be, money was still tight after they bought the house. I mean, it really was. And so when she goes to buy the house, they're like, hey, by the way, this used to be like a mortuary. Cool. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I guess. And it's unclear whether she like knew the extent I'm talking about the real person, not the movie. It's unclear whether she knew the extent of which the home was operating as a morgue because, I mean, and a mortuary, excuse me, because 
Um, like when they go into the basement where the son was going to be living, I mean, it literally has like floor to ceiling, mint green tile everywhere. Um, it looks like a, a hospital. It has the sucky machine that you use to suck stuff out of bodies when they're dead to stuff them or whatever and put them in the coffin or whatever the fuck you do with it. I don't want to know. And you know, the, the tables are in there. Everything's still in there. They didn't take anything out. So she has to clean up all this medical equipment, which I don't know how you guys feel about medical equipment, but just know that like medical equipment is, is really disgusting. Okay. Like it's clean, but it's only so clean. And so if you ever have to actually like deal with the removal of medical equipment, please hire somebody to do that for you. That's really scary and not safe at all. But, um, the son, the sick one moves into the basement and like, he just starts to see things and he eventually gets possessed and you know, his, his health gets worse and then it gets better. And it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It really is one of the most upsetting stories you'll ever hear. Number 55, Shutter Island. I love Shutter Island. This is such a great movie. 2010 release, two hour, 18 minutes, a little on the long side, but it's a Martin Scorsese movie, so I don't think you're going to complain. If you do, then you are not my friend, but starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Emily Mortimer, Mark Ruffalo. I think Mark Ruffalo acted for his life in this movie. Like he might not have ever given a better performance than this. And this movie has an insane rating on IMDb. It has an 8.2 out of 10. That like, that's so high, especially for a thriller. In 1954, a U.S. Marshal investigates the disappearance of a murderer who escaped from a hospital for the criminally insane. I, I have, I don't know why I have such an attachment to this movie. I watch it pretty much every chance I get, and, you know, you got Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, they're in, like, a Boston hospital, and it's basically, like, they're pushing for this assignment that they really want, and it's all for personal reasons. I don't want to give too much away, because this movie really is so great, and you miss so many little things if you um, are not paying attention, so I don't want to tell you the end. I want you to watch it, but... Um, he like thinks he's been brought to the hospital because there's like doctors at the hospital who want to perform these like crazy treatments that are illegal and scary and evil and are not helpful at all. And does he end up like really ever solving this crime? No. Or this like file? Not necessarily, I wouldn't say, but, um... Yeah, his sanity is in question, and I think, unless you watch it, you probably wouldn't be able to make a good judge of that. Number 54, Creep 2. Yes, I'm talking about Creep 2. I also love Creep 1, but we're not there yet. Um, So Creep 2 is written by Mark Duplass, so if you love the Duplass brothers, then... Of course, you'll love, you'll love this. I don't know which one is really better. Like, I like them both. Also, Mark Duplass plays, like, the main character. So, and I just, he's great. Um, This was released in 2017. One hour, 18 minute runtime. It's very short. A video artist looking for work drives to a remote house in the forest to meet a man claiming to be a serial killer. But after agreeing to spend the day with him, she soon realizes that she has made a deadly mistake. And again, because I only, I don't want to give away too much. This movie is only an hour and 18 minutes long. So like, if I tell you what happens, then it will ruin the whole thing. It's a really short movie. But, um, Sarah, the main character, she's, she's an artist and like, she explores the lives of lonely men. So she like finds this guy online She drives to his house. He lives alone. He lives in the middle of nowhere. And she's like, okay, great. Like I have this new, new art project that I'm going to do. And, um, yeah, she spends the day with him and it just turns really ugly. So it's a great one. And again, it's really short. Number 53, Coherence. Coherence was released in 2013, one hour and 29 minute runtime. 
strange things begin to happen when a group of friends gather for a dinner party on an evening when a comet is passing overhead. This also screams like super ultra indie movie. It was written and directed by James Ward Bierkert and stars Emily Baldoni, Maury Sterling, Nicholas Brendan. Truly, oh, Hugo Armstrong is also in it. Sorry, and Elizabeth Grayson. This movie is one of those movies that, like, you're going to look up after because you're going to be like me, right? And you're going to say, I don't understand how any of this works. I don't understand what comets really do. And I don't understand how parallel universes work, which, amazing. Because neither, you know, I don't either. Like, I, I truly don't. And... I never claimed to know anything about that stuff, right? It's very, like, confusing. But the tagline of the movie is rearrange your brain. And I think that's pretty, um, pretty nail on the head hitting. So, basically, these friends are all at a dinner party. And one by one, they're like, well, what if something weird happens when the comet comes? Like, I'm scared about the comet, blah, blah, blah. They start talking about, like, numerology and how things are happening. And then, like, one by one, they'll, you know, leave the house, go outside to either get something from the car or, you know, try to go over to the neighbor's house and ask for some help. And, like, every time somebody leaves the house, a different version of that person comes back into the house. And so you lose track of who's the real one, who's not the real one. It is a great experience to watch this, especially for the first time, but it's even better to watch it the second and third time after you have a better understanding of what is actually going on. But nevertheless, it's a fun watch. And especially if you're about to have a dinner party coming up, it's even better. Number 52, Us. I'm talking about Jordan Peele's Us, of course which was released in 2019, one hour and 56 minute runtime, written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke and Elizabeth Moss. And this movie is just great. There's really nothing about it that I don't like. Again, if you could, if you know me, then you probably understand that I do just truly love, I love an original story. I just do. Um, A family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. Again, I don't want to give give away the ending here because there's just, I mean, when it comes to a Jordan Peele movie, there's just nothing better than the end and when you find out what's really going on and and so basically Lupita Nyong'o and her family are um, going out to like this well, the movie starts out with her as a kid, right? And so she goes into this, like, she's at this, like, carnival on the pier with, like, her family. And she goes into this um, fun house. And when she's in there, she sees a little girl that looks exactly like her. And it freaks her the fuck out, which I feel like is only a natural reaction. And then whenever she goes um, back, right? So her family is going to go back to the same pier. I believe it's in Santa Monica. I'm, I've never been to California. Please don't quote me or hold that over my head. But... Her family basically wants to go back um, to this, like, little pier, this carnival, this beach. And she has, like, weird feelings about it. She doesn't really want to go. You can tell she's kind of, like, scared to go back, but she's going to go. Like, she's going to make the effort, and she's going to go with her family. And as soon as they get to the house that they're going to be staying in, um, which I guess they refer to as a beach house, even though, like, it's not really on the beach. It's like a lake house. Um, And, like, there's a lot of comedic relief in this movie you know like um the dad buys a boat and it's called like the craw daddy or something like i mean it's it's also a funny movie but basically they get to this house they go to bed and they find out that there's a bunch of people that want to come in the house that um are literally identical versions of themselves a really original movie really great story not something that i've thought about a lot But I do think about doppelgangers all the time because I pray to God I don't have one. And the last one for this episode is going to be number 51, Get Out. Also Jordan Peele. I'm doubling up on Jordan Peele here. 2017 release, one hour, 44 minute runtime. Written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford. 
a young African-American visits his white girlfriend's parents for the for the weekend, where his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling point. This movie is so, like, over the top. And I mean, maybe, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it's not, right? Like, I don't, um, I don't have the same experiences that a black person has in this world, so I don't want to be insensitive to that. The way that the parents act towards him, I feel like, are, like, so over the top in the movie. Like, they're very exaggerated, and I think they're exaggerated on purpose. Like, the interactions are exaggerated to really, like, prove a point. And so, uh, once they get there, you know, like, they're, like, overly accommodating, overly friendly, and... um they're all white and they're rich and the dad is a brain surgeon and all these things. And like, they're talking about how it's uncovered later that like the daughter only brings home black guys to introduce to her family. And then like they get auctioned off as somebody to switch brains with. So you can live longer. So you take the brain out of an older white person's body and you put it in the brain in the body of a healthy young black person so that that person can still live on in the world um, and and not be sick and not die and so it's a it's incredibly disturbing to think about of course and the worst part is that the dad the girlfriend's dad is in on all of it and he's doing all of the brain surgeries surprise so that's really upsetting um, yeah this whole movie was incredibly incredibly disturbing um, and again important we only talk about important movies here so just in case you were wondering, give it a watch. Really good. Not a long movie. And it could be longer to, in my opinion, it really could be just because there's so much like story to be told. Right. Um, yeah, this movie is, is really good. So that is all for today. Um, thank you guys for being so patient with me on everything. And I will talk to you again in two weeks where we will work our way through 20 more titles because I swear to God, if my life depends on it, we are going to finish this countdown. So thank you, final boys, final girls. This has been Sixth Avenue's very own final girl, and I will talk to you soon.